Welcome to Awaken Church Online. This is the second message in our series, Exploring the Many Facets of Identity. Today's speaker is John Rogers. Good morning, everybody. Starting last week, we started a journey beginning to explore the idea of identity, our identity. Bruce has shared this really neat picture that when it comes to identity, there's a lot of different aspects to our identity, isn't there? It's like different facets, as if a a diamond. You look at a diamond, and there's a lot of different facets to the diamond, and all of it comes together to form this thing of beauty. And so it is with our identity, that there's a lot of different aspects to our identity. There's not one singular thing, but as an aspect, I'm a father. It's part of who I am. It's part of my identity. I'm a friend. It's part of who I am. It's part of my identity. I'm a follower of Christ. That's all of who I mean. I'm, that's, that's who I am, right? So there's going to be some people that will be sharing different aspects as to our identity and who we are. Dennis teed it up really nice last week and as he explored and talked about how it is that different voices in the world today can speak into how we can hear things in the world that can form our identity, false voices, into false identities. And that happens, doesn't it? Here's the thing with identity. One of the things that I think is so important with identity, it's essential, absolutely essential, that we know who we are because who we are will invariably speak to and direct our lives and affect our actions. Not only that, if we fail to see who we are, it will undo aspects of our life. And it goes without saying, I hope that it goes without saying, that we've got to know who we are in Christ to really grow and flourish in our relationship with with the Father. But also, every different aspect. And just as an example, if I'm going to state some obvious things, make some obvious surface observations to illustrate this. I am a father. Like I said, that's part of who I am. But if I fail to see that I'm a father, if I don't recognize that I'm a father, then it goes without saying I'm not going to be a good father. You got to acknowledge that you're the father before you're a good father. I am a husband. It's part of who I am. Unless I acknowledge that I am a husband... I'm not going to be a good husband. I'm a friend. It's part of who I am. If I fail to see that, if I don't recognize that I'm a friend, I'm not going to be a good friend. If I automatically come out of the gate and say, I have no friends, I'm not much of a friend, right? Here's what's important. If I fail to see the reality that I am accepted in the beloved then I will be, to say, to, to, to put it lightly, severely stunted in my ability to receive from the Father and to be a partaker of the divine nature, right? And I do think it's really nice that, generally speaking, within the church as a whole, we hear a lot of people speak to the importance of identity. Identity, I would say, is kind of a theme, It's a big theme in the church today, and I think appropriately so. 
as I think about it, one of the things that comes to my mind is, uh, let's see here. One of the things that comes to my mind is, uh, it's water. <laughs> Oftentimes, I think that we can come to the subject of identity in a very limited way, looking at it through the lens of what I would say is a Western individualistic lens. And we think of it as strictly a personal thing. And yes, it is a personal thing. However, having said that, I think it's so much more than that. So much more than that. I, I recognize, and one of the things not only do I recognize, but that I really delight in, I celebrate, is the reality that I am not on my own, of and by myself, identified in the context of just me and God. There is that yes and amen. And by the way, everything that people are going to share after this in further messages, yes and amen to that as well. It's not either or, but it's both and. It's not to negate one, but it's to, I'd like to emphasize and draw out this one reality that who we are is who I am. And that's the context of what would be a random statement on its own. <laughs> you look up there, what is that? Who we are is who I am. Who I am is that I have been brought into this thriving, beautiful body the body of Christ. I'm a member of the body of Christ. And I'm participating in this story that's been going on way longer than before I got here. And then it's going to continue to go on. And I'm stepping into it. As I step into it, it is that body, it is that community of faith that forms me and informs me of who I am. And I know that there is not a chance that I'm going to... I am not who I am today without you. And even though I don't know who some of you are, you're a part of the body and we are all together. And I'm not who I am without that. It says in Proverbs 13, 20, that if you walk with the wise, you will become wise. And you know what? I'm the recipient of a lot of wisdom. In fact, if, you, if I might just be so bold, I'm pretty wise. I've got a lot of wisdom. I can say that because it's not mine. It's been, I imported it. When I, came into the, when I came to the faith, I was washed up with nothing, morally, spiritually, just bankrupt. Nickel and dime, street punk kid, sleeping in parks in Portland. That was me. I was just, you know, part of the throwaway youth of America. All I knew how to do when I got here was use silverware. That's about it. That was about the extent of my ability. But you know what I experienced? Experienced a lot of love. Experienced a lot of patience. Experienced a lot of wisdom. I've got the, that's why I say at the beginning that I'm a relationship guy. It's, it's just who I am. I've been blessed so much. Who I am is because of you. It's because of Dennis, you know, my best friends in life, who's, who's seen me get ugly. He's seen me get victorious, and he's walked with me. 
because of Rob, who I've known for over 30 years. We met when we were five. Vince, who I've known for over 30 years. Ah, I, I treasure it. You know, we are really an integral part of this body of faith, this community of faith that is a thing of beauty. And I want to draw that out a little bit. As I do this, it may seem like I might be taking a bit of a rabbit trail. Okay, it's not necessarily a rabbit trail, but it's to lay a foundation. I'm going to bring it back to really explore this idea that who we are is who I am. And it all begins with, you know what, with everything, with everything within the Christian life, it all starts with who Christ is and the identity of Christ. With that, let's just take a quick look at Matthew chapter 3. In Matthew 3, Oh, there's a lot to this story here. It's the story of where Jesus is baptized. And I'm just going to drop right in on verse 16, where there's this beautiful passage. It says, when he was, uh, had been baptized, Jesus, by the way, if I say, let's turn to a certain point, it, it occurred to me recently that of late, there's an interesting development that's happened within the church. Isn't this true? Where People that are sharing are accustomed to saying, let's turn to, and then after about five seconds, it pops up on the screen. And I, I realized I stopped turning to. And I thought, yeah, I kind of miss that. I kind of miss turning to. Heads up, it's not going to be on the screen today. So if I hear some pages turn in your Bible or your phone or your iPad, whatever, let's take a look at this because I'm not going to I'm not going to bring it up on the on the screen. <laughs> Is that fair? <laughs> when he'd been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit descending like a dove and alighting upon him. Suddenly, a voice came from heaven saying. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That phrase right there serves as the foundation and the underpinning of all identity because without that, we would have no identity with the Father because we are in Christ. Amen? Amen. Now, if we are in Christ, it is essential that we know who Christ is and his identity because it is from that identity that we draw, right? By the way, just for a heads up, when I say amen, what I'm thinking is, yes, that is true and I receive that, (laughs) okay? So I love to hear the amen, you know? So sometimes people might think, why do people say amen? I don't know what other people are thinking. This is what I'm thinking for whatever it's worth. But what is the identity of Christ with the Father? First of all, it's so important, the words, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, that they were words that were shared before he did anything. Isn't that interesting to think about? He didn't do anything, but coming from that, we know that his relationship with the Father, and this is absolutely essential, was that of unity and oneness with the Father. 
John chapter 10, verse 30, I and the Father are one. There is this mystery of the oneness of Christ with the Father that surpasses understanding, but that is a spiritual reality that I'm persuaded I'm never going to be able to unpack this side of heaven. Let me ask you this. Have you ever, does it ever just short-circuit your mind when you think about the Father and the Son being one, yet they're separate, yet they're, the Father is greater than I? What is going on there? It's a mystery. But if this serves as any consolation or comfort, know that uh, Paul thought that it was a mystery as well. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. But what he says right there, he states the truth, God was manifest in the flesh. He says, hey, I, without controversy, great is the mystery. It's a mystery. However, as mysterious as it is, I think that it's really important that we do have some kind of understanding of that because it is from that unity that our unity flows and our community and the church and the body of Christ is comes together. And with that, let's take a look at John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Now, it's actually taken me a while to get here, but the reality of the matter is, if there is a central passage that I'm going to, that I had to recognize, it would be this one right here. <clears throat> oh, there's so much in this prayer. Oh, I've been getting lost in this prayer. It's been an ongoing thing where I just keep reading it. There's just so much to it that I just, that's just, uh, blows my mind. Dropping in on verse 20, listen to this. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and I have loved them as you have loved me. Can I be perfected without the oneness that we have? That they may be perfected. This oneness here is amazing. What does that mean? He's saying that they may be one as we are one. Very profound thing. What is the extent of that? How does it look and what does it mean? I don't know. Sorry if I'm disappointing you. Maybe I should have some kind of an answer for that, seeing how I'm sharing and all. But I'm just being transparent. It's just so mind-boggling. It's just beyond my understanding. It's beyond my understanding. But here's the deal. I want to know. I want to know. I want to explore it. 
I want to experience it. I want the reality. I do have, I do know this though. Here's what I do know about it. I have an idea that that unity is not found in us agreeing on everything. I have an idea that this unity is not found with the fact that we are coming from similar cultures or that we're, we have similar interests. It's within the context of knowing the unity happens even in the midst of that. And that makes it even more beautiful and that makes it divine. Because I tell you what, the unity, there's not going to be any unity without, in the world without something like that. This arises above that. I ponder the unity and I think, hmm, what's a good picture of that? And then something comes to my mind. Psalm 133 verse 1, a well-known verse on unity. When David the psalmist says, Oh, how good and pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. And it's a beautiful thought, and it is a beautiful thing for the brethren to dwell together with unity. But I, I got I to gotta think that David had something in his mind when he wrote it and when he said that. What could David have been thinking? And then it comes to my mind. I don't know this for sure, but I got a pretty good hunch. He had a really good idea of what unity looked like. He had this band of 400 men that were together and united. And they were committed to one another. And they would battle alongside each other. And the wonderful, beautiful thing about that band of 400 people is that they were a ragtag group of people from all kinds of different cultures that were outcast from their communities and societies. And you got to know that they were opinionated, strong-willed guys. you got to know that they were opinionated and strong-willed. These were A-type driver personalities. you got to know that. And But you know what? there was this one thing that united them and that it was under the, the banner of, of King David. They were committed, singularly minded, committed to King David. And under that, they were heading the same direction. They were united on, on one page, heading the same direction. Amen? Can you see that? And similarly, it, it's similar with us. We come from all kinds of different cultures. We have all kinds of different ideas, but we're united under one banner, King Jesus. King Jesus. Now, I realize that's a beautiful thing. It is, it's a beautiful thing. And built into that beauty is also a challenge, some built-in challenges. Mm -hmm. You know what those are? People. It's true. <laughs> people. The blessings come from the people and the challenges come from the people as well. Have you ever been, you know what? There's a good chance I'm just gonna just gonna step out on a limb here and guess that there's probably been some opportunity for you to experience some offense. Someone has wronged you. And it's just by the volume, it's just the fact that there's people here. What are we going to do with that? You know, it's like we love the idea of unity and being together, living in community, being formed by one another. But here, the reality of the matter is, is this. We will be formed by something. What will that form within us? So often when we experience those 
offenses. And when we're slighted by people, we can be tempted to recoil from relationship and say, I don't know, I don't need this. I know, yeah, that's me. That's, I, I experienced uh, that, a very real temptation in that. You know, I've got to, if, if that's something that you struggle, there, there could be people that are struggling with that right now, offense and resentment and bitterness. And if you're there, I've got a word for you today. If you open your heart, just receive this word. Yea, verily I say unto thee, get over it. <laughs> yeah, just get over it. <laughs> you know, right? It's because <laughs> it, if we, yeah, I would never say that one on one working with someone. I like this generally, I can let it rip. <laughs> Maybe I should. But, uh, you know, if we fail to see, you know, we do well to see that we have had plenty of opportunities to offend ourselves. We've offended, we've messed up, and we've been the recipient of grace and mercy. Who are we to withhold that from others? Things are going to form me. Is the, am I going to allow that to form in me to be a bitter person? Am I going to let it form in me that I be, that my identity, that part of who I am is going to be resentful is part of who I am going to be unforgiving or am I going to experience that in a way that by the way the who we are is who I am that's part of the good stuff that's part of the stuff it's built in there that when I experience that am I going to be forgiving am I going to be gracious am I going to be long-suffering and that when I start to take all of this in there's so many oh goodness we can explore this a long ways, but I guess that some, if I'm going to just bring it down to some realities, that if we truly, that if I have a vision and an appreciation and a heart for the oneness that we have, that you are my tribe, that you know what? I really do need you. I do need you. Could I technically recoil and go off into the woods? That, yeah, but why would I want to do that? I'd be robbing myself. I would be robbed of the treasure that I have in you. And that part of who I am, what I want of me, and what I would desire of the church is that we would be of the same heart and in the same mind as we walk in that, that we would know the reality of Romans chapter 12, verse 15. And so we rejoice with those who rejoice. We mourn with those who mourn. When you're doing good, yes, good. And when you grieve, it just breaks my heart. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, that we bear with one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And as we walk this life together and work through those things together, that we do it together as a community, allowing us to be formed and identify as the body of Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us today on Awaken Church Online. To learn more about the church, visit our website, awakenchurchmac.com. 